It was my junior year of college, and I was beginning to grow in my walk with the Lord. And I had a desire to want to meet with someone to be discipled. And I remember at the time I had decided to set up a meeting with my uh, associate pastor of my church, and I wanted to talk to him about the possibility of him discipling me. And so I met with him, and I remember when I met with him and I told him what I wanted to do, he sort of had this look of confusion on his face. And he said, well, okay, well, let's, uh, let, let's meet next week at this time, and we'll sort of figure this thing out. I said, okay. And so we met the next week at the, at the time that was allotted, and I remembered we, uh, when I got there, he really honestly did not have much of a direction or vision uh, that he wanted to take that time in. And so we met maybe twice, we met maybe three times, and then after that it sort of just fizzled out. And I remember thinking about that time in my life, even today as I stand here as a uh, family pastor, associate pastor, whatever you want to call me, and I'm thinking to myself, that is crazy to me. That here was this pastor of a church who didn't really know what direction to go in with making a disciple of a kid, a student at the time, that was growing in his walk with the Lord. And at that moment and that time, I told myself, I said, may it never be that that would ever happen again. And I think what we're going to see today in Matthew chapter 28, it's a very familiar verse, but yet at the same time, one that I think a lot of times we don't really understand what the emphasis is actually on. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to be looking in verses 16 through 20. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. It's found on page 835 of your pew Bibles, which is the black Bible there that is in front of you. And if you do not own a Bible, uh, we would love for you to take that Bible home with you as we continue to try to purify the church and penetrate the culture here in Valdosta, Georgia. But if you would, I'm going to read these verses. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to read Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You may be seated. So just a little bit of background here, a little bit of history here. This is coming out of the Gospel of Matthew that was written by the disciple Matthew, the Jewish tax collector. Now, to be a tax collector during this time and to be a Jewish tax collector, it was a very sleazy thing to do, okay? 
It was something to where you were going and you were collecting money for the Roman Empire who was oppressing the Jews at this time. But then the way that you made your money was that you would take just extra on top of whatever the Roman government told you to take to make your salary. And so there were some tax collectors who were very wealthy because they would take a lot. And when you were backed by the Roman Empire or when you're backed by Caesar, nobody's really going to argue with you, are they? And so a lot of tax collectors, they were looked down upon because of this. But also we see that within this book of Matthew, him being a tax collector, he would have had to take in very good records of that. And so therefore, that's where he got his writing skills from. And there's also multiple places in here that it talks about coinage as well. So we can see where Matthew most likely wrote this book. But also another interesting thing about this book is the fact that it is the first one in the New Testament of Scripture. So you have the Old Testament and then you have over 400 years of silence where there is nothing of canonical importance, nothing that is written within the scriptures for over 400 years until you come to where John the Baptist and Jesus come onto the scene. So Matthew is writing to Jews and that's a good segue for him when you have that 400 years of silence and you've only had the Old Testament that has been written. So when he's writing to these Jews, what he is doing, he's taking a lot of Old Testament scripture and he's trying to prove to them exactly who Jesus is. And so there's multiple places within the book of Matthew where you're seeing this deity given to Jesus, where he ultimately is God. When the Jews did not believe he was who he says he was, well, now all of a sudden, well, Matthew is trying to prove that he is. And so it's a great book to make that segue happen there, okay? And so just keep that in mind as we continue on. I want to look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 10, just for a second, because you're going to see where there's a continuation there in verse 16. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And then you're seeing there in verse 16, what is it saying? Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. All right, you can see it jump there in that continuation that is happening. But notice what it's saying. It says, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. There's a number there. The number is 11. We're thinking what? It should be 12, right? What happened to the 12th? Well, the 12th was who? It was Judas, right? He had betrayed Jesus. He had sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, the same price of a dead slave. And then he went and bought some land and he hung himself on the very land that he bought with that 30 pieces of silver. And so that's why it says 11 here. But notice where they went. They went to Galilee. So here we see in the beginning of the book of Matthew, Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee. Well, now here at the end of the book of Matthew, we're seeing that Jesus is ending his ministry here as well. So now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Now, an observation that actually will help me to see this past week is that all throughout the Gospels, what you're seeing is that Jesus is going on the tops of the mountains and he's doing what? He is teaching his people. Well, if you remember in Exodus chapter 19, somebody else went on to the top of the mountain, and that ultimately was who? It was Moses, right? And when he went up to the top of the mountain, he was going to receive the law, right? The Ten Commandments. But yet everybody else was instructed not to go up there, and they were afraid because there was lightning and there was a thick cloud. 
And the presence of God was there. And even if they looked upon it, they could be killed. Well, now all of a sudden, Jesus comes onto the scene. And what is he doing? He's taking people to the top of the mountain. Why? Because he is the only way to the Father. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is the only way to the Father. Come, 11 disciples, up the mountain with me. And it says, and when they saw him, what did they do? They worshiped him. Now, at this point in time in Jesus' life, he has already died. He's already been buried. He's already been resurrected. He's already explained to the doubters what was going on, and he showed them the nail-pierced hands and all of that stuff, okay? These are about to be his last words before he's ascended into heaven. And when it's the last words, it's what? It's lasting words, isn't it? Very important words. And so we can see here that when they saw him, what did they do? They worshiped him. Remember, the disciples didn't know exactly who Jesus was uh, to begin with, right? If you remember that argument that he had there with Peter, get behind me, Satan, right? And so there was some still not, not, not quite clear of who Jesus was, but now that the crucifixion and the death, burial, and resurrection has happened, now all of a sudden they know who Jesus is. And what is their response to knowing who Jesus is? Worship, right? As we get the opportunity to live on the other side of the cross and look back at the cross and know the death, burial, and resurrection, what should our response to that be? Worship right? And so what did they do? It says, and they saw him and they what? They worshiped him. But then it says, but some doubted. Now there's a lot of debate about what this means, whether there were other people that were there that doubted or whether it was some of the disciples that doubted, but it says right there, but some doubted. I take a little bit different take on it based on the context of the verse. And what I think there is when it says that some doubted, I think what they're saying there is that they're not really sure what their next steps should be. And so Jesus is about to instruct them on what those next steps should be. And it says, but some doubted. And what happens? And Jesus came and said to them, now notice the very first words out of Jesus' mouth in this section of Scripture. Look there with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter 28. Verse 18, what does he say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? To me, right? To him, right? Wouldn't that be a very comforting thing for you to hear? He's about to instruct you on what you need to go and do. And he's letting you know that who's in charge? He's in charge, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. So he has died. He has been buried. He has been resurrected from the grave. He has defeated sin. He has defeated death. He has defeated Satan, right? He has crushed the head of the serpent, right? The prophecies that we see within the Old Testament, now all of a sudden we're beginning to see them fulfilled here within the New Testament, right? And so as he's telling them this, what a comforting thing to tell them. But also, we know that he is the supreme. We know that he is the sovereign, right? We know that he has all authority over the breath in our lungs. He has all authority over the synapse in our brain. He has all the authority over the politics. He has all the authority over our money. He has all the authority over our health and wealth and everything else, right? 
He is ultimately the one who is in control. So as he's about to tell them this, he wants to make sure that he reminds them of this so that what? They won't be afraid, right? So that they won't fear, right? So all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And then he says in verse 19, what does he say? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Notice here it says, go therefore. You see a therefore, what have you got to ask yourself? The question, what is it therefore, right? Well, look the verse right before it, and that's typically where you go. What does it say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so do what? Go. Don't fear. I am in control. I am in charge, right? But one thing that we typically see here in verse 9 is that so many people want to put the emphasis of this verse on the go. But guess what? That's not the main verb. Every sending organization, every church that sends out ministries, what do they do? They put boom, go, right? Matthew 28, 19, go, right? The question that I have for them is, have they even made? Because the main verb in this verse is make disciples. And guess what? It's in the aorist imperative. What does that mean? As I raise my voice, I'm actually telling you in the way that it would have been said. It would have had an exclamation point. But it also, guess what? It would have been as it, when he's saying it as though it is going to get done. So he's telling them to go, therefore, and do what? Make disciples. He's telling them as he's looking at the 11 on the top of that mountain, he's saying to them, get it done. Exclamation point. That's what he's saying to them at that moment and at that time. I don't know if you have ever walked into your boss's office after about a week or two of them asking you to do something that you didn't do. And you have to sit in front of them and what do they tell you to do? Get it done. Right? That's the tone that is being used here. Get it done. And I want you to know something, church. This is not just for the disciples to hear. This is the great commission. This is the great command that we're so, so familiar with. And guess what? It's for every single follower of Jesus Christ to do what? To get it done. How? By making disciples. So the question becomes in your own life, are you actually making disciples within your own life? Or are you using some excuse of all the excuses that you could use not to do that? Oh, Jovi, I'm too busy. Bull. You're going to make time for whatever you think is important, period. Don't tell me you're too busy. You're commanded by God to do it. Do you think he didn't know that you would have the busyness in your life? Do you think he didn't know that you were going to be at the exact moment at the exact time? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Do you think that surprised him? Oh, okay. We're going to take this person out of the equation because they're too busy. No, absolutely not. 
I think a lot of time what it boils down to is that you're just too selfish. I think that's what it boils down to. I don't have time for that. I'm too busy worrying about my 401k or worrying about how much money I'm going to make or worrying about feeding myself or my house or whatever. And none of those things are wrong, but so many times we put those things in front of our relationship with the Lord or in front of what? Making disciples. When that's the very thing that we should be doing, right? So go, therefore, and make disciples of what? What does it say? Of all nations. You're going to see a few times in this verse where you're going to see the Greek word pasa, which means all. You have what? All nations. You have what? All authority. And you also have what? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It's pasa, pasa, pasa. Every time you see that. And what this is talking about is every people group. That's what it's talking about. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, of all people groups. So as you got to think here just for a second, the context, context, context is the cry of the exegete. As Jesus is sitting on top of that mountain and as he is talking to his 11 disciples, he has been spending time with them for about three years or so, right? He's not just sending them out to go, go, go without training them up. But also, what is he asking them to do? He's asking them to descend from that mountain and do what? Remember, Matthew is writing to who? He's writing to the Jews. He's saying, guess what? The making of disciples is not just for the Jew, but it's for who? It's for the Gentile as well. It's for all nations, for every people group. No matter what the skin color may be, no matter what the socioeconomic status may be, no matter how rich, poor, whatever, it's for everyone, right? So we don't discriminate in that way in any way, right? They're human beings who've been made in the image of God. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you notice here, the main verb is the make disciples, but then you have a participle or three participles here that is describing that verb, and what is it? It's the going... It's the what? Baptizing, and it's the teaching. So how do we make disciples? we got to go, we got to baptize, and we got to teach. That's what that's showing there, but the main point of it all is the making, right? Struggle is, is that so many times we lose sight of the making of disciples, right? We send people all over the world, and we haven't made them And maybe some people have some really good intentions. Maybe some people are going around the world and maybe they are digging some wells or maybe they're feeding people hot dogs or maybe they're uh, fixing their health, whatever it may be. But we've got to understand that we've got to make sure that we make them first and not just sending them and not just them losing sight of what's important and the main thing, which we're about to talk about here in just a second. But we've got to understand that one day those wells will run dry. But the word of God will never run dry. May we not forget that in our endeavors to love on people, that we've got to continue to keep the main thing, the main thing. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Notice here when it says that, when Jesus says that, what is he doing here? 
He is sandwiching himself between who? The Father and the Holy Spirit, isn't he? He's saying this about himself right here, right? He is showing his deity. He is showing how he is God. But he's also showing the Trinity right here as well, isn't he? Now, the word Trinity is not mentioned anywhere within the Scriptures, but we see it all throughout the Scriptures. And if you'll notice on a Sunday morning, you see us say it, right? When we baptize somebody in the name of the what? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Where are we getting that from? We're getting it from the Word of God. But also, what are the two ordinances that are for the church? What are they? It's baptism and what? Lord's Supper, right? So guess what? Making disciples is supposed to be done within the context of the church. Isn't that amazing? Now, I love parachurch ministries. I love the RUFs, the BCMs, the Wesleys, the FCAs of the world. But the only reason that they exist is because the church failed to do their job. That's the only reason they exist. And therefore, we need to make sure that we are doing what? That we are making disciples and we are getting it done. Because if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, then guess what? He's speaking directly to you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So what are we supposed to teach them? It tells us right here, doesn't it? It says what? All that I have commanded you. We're supposed to teach them the word of the Lord. It's that simple. But there are so many discipleship opportunities and discipleship making groups that end up doing what? They end up losing sight of that, don't they? They end up all of a sudden, maybe they're getting together, maybe they're meeting, maybe at first it's about the word of the Lord, but then all of a sudden they get away from that within their lives or within that group or within that time of meeting together. And now all of a sudden they haven't kept the main thing, the main thing, which is what? Doing all that God has commanded us to do keeping the word of the Lord at the very center and at the forefront of that time. Now, all of a sudden, all they've become is some other civic group, right? All they've become is another Toastmasters or a Rotary or whatever it may be, right? And they've lost sight of what's most important. And that's the preaching and the teaching of the word of the Lord within that time. I have nothing wrong with those groups. If you want to be a part of one of those groups, go join them, but don't call that discipleship making. Be intentional about that time. And we're going to go over that here in just a second. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then he ends with a very sweet and beautiful phrase right here. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I don't know if you notice this, but in Matthew chapter 1, and I'll just read it for you, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, there is a word that describes Jesus. And you may remember this after I begin to read it, but in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel. What does that mean? 
God with us. It's at the very beginning of the book. And then right here, what does he say? And behold, what? I am with you always. What a comforting thing to hear, one that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. But also another comforting thing to hear right here is that what? He's going to be with them always to the end of the age. Literally translated, that means every minute of every day, he's going to be with them. And so not only is he supreme, not only is he in charge, not only is he sovereign, but he's going to be with us no, no matter whether, where we go, right? I remember going through this verse uh, with a guy that I discipled this past week, and he stopped me at that moment in time, and he looked at me, and he's like, so wait, Joby, you're telling me that God is in control and that he's with us everywhere. And he looked at me and said, well, then what do I have to fear? said, exactly. It was like the light bulb had come on at that moment in time, and it was amazing to be able to see. A very simple yet profound statement. But then again, actually believing that is difficult, isn't it? Taking that to heart can be a struggle at times, for sure. So the question becomes in all of this, okay, Joby, well, what do I do? How do I do this? You're telling me to go and to make disciples. Well, I don't even know how to do this. Well, let me just give you some pointers on this, okay? Let me just give you a couple of bullet points here to help you with this, okay? The first thing that I'm going to tell you to do in the discipleship-making process is that you need to share the Word. And what I mean by that is that you need to share the gospel. You need to share the euangelion, the good news of the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I don't want you to assume that every single person that you're meeting with is a follower of Jesus Christ, but that is because a lot of times that is just not the case. And so you need to start off with the gospel and the sharing of the testimony, maybe of your own life and how he has affected your life and what that means in the grand scheme of the gospel as well and what he has done for you. And that's the first place that you need to start is the sharing of the word. The second thing that you need to do is that you need to show the word. You need to show the word. Well, how do you do that? By doing life on life, by being very intentional in those times that you are showing the word through life on life situations. So one beautiful thing that my wife has started to do with her uh, uh, college and young adult group that she's been with now for about two or three years or so is that she decided, she said, Joby, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to start bringing them over early and they're going to start eating a meal with us. Now, when she first told me that, I thought that meant that she wanted me to be in the back bedroom and let them have their little girl time. But she said, no. She said, I want you to be a part of that. I want the kids to be a part of that. And I want them to see how we interact and how we discipline our children. And I want us to be intentional about that. And I said, that's awesome. That's beautiful. In the good and in the bad times, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Amen. I'll take that as an amen. I better not have been my son that just said that. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. So we need to show the word. But the key to showing the word is that we have to be intentional about that. 
We have to make sure that we are doing what? If we are helping others to follow Jesus, we have to make sure that we are being intentional about showing, about pointing them to Christ. Whether it's in us going and grabbing some food, or whether it's in us doing some hobby together, or whatever it may be, just living life on life together, we need to be intentional about doing that. So we share the word, we show the word. Another thing, the third thing, and the final thing, I'll just leave it real short for you. The last thing that we need to do is that we need to teach the word. Now that one obviously is an obvious one that is there, right? Through that passage of scripture. And so we need to take them deeper into the word of the Lord. So you can see all throughout every single step, whether it's share the word, show the word, teach the word, You've got to understand there's intentionality in all of it, right? You're being intentional with the time that you're spending with that person. That last one, what I think and I've said earlier, is that you've got to keep the main thing the main thing. Don't get away from the word of the Lord. Don't get away from teaching all that he has commanded us. But then also there is an all-encompassing that is theirs that we do it to what? We do it to all nations, whether it's Jew or Gentile, whether it's red, yellow, black, or white, right? They are precious in His sight. So we do it with all nations, and we don't discriminate based off of that at all. So we've got to share the Word, we've got to show the Word, and we've got to teach the Word. Now one thing I do want to mention before I go away from this and get off this topic I do want to make sure I help you to understand a danger in discipleship as well, because there is a great danger in it. I don't know if you remember the attitude that Jesus had towards the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but he did not like them very much, did he? Uh, what did he call them? I think he called them a brood of vipers, right, at one point in time. And why did he do that? Why did he not have a, a, a sort of a, an affection for them? Why did he just despise them in that way? Because if you remember, the Pharisees and Sadducees were getting upset that, who, that the people were doing what? That they were following Jesus, right? And they weren't following who? Them, right? And so a danger in this discipleship-making process is that all of a sudden you have got somebody who you are trying to teach to follow Christ, well, all of a sudden they begin to really like you and to follow you, and then guess what? You make them a little disciple of you and not ultimately of Jesus Christ. If I were ever to leave here at Perimeter Road, which I hope I would never do, at least at this point in time in my life, if I were ever to leave and the ministry areas that I'm over failed, then guess what? I did not do my job while I was here. Why? Because I was pointing the people to myself instead of pointing the people to who? To Christ. So that can be a danger in discipleship of getting all puffed up and say, look at me, look at how great I am. I got this person following me or these people following me. And all of a sudden you're wanting to point them back to you instead of pointing them to the one who actually matters. So don't forget that. The other thing that I want to mention to you is the cost of discipleship. Now, whenever I ask this question within the basics class that we have, uh, most people get it right away and they say, what should it cost you? Ultimately, what? Everything, right? But I want you to hear it in the words of Jesus. He says in Luke chapter 14, verses 26 through 27, 
He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, right here, Jesus is not telling them necessarily to go and hate their mother, brother, sister, auntie, uncle, whoever. Okay, he's not telling them to go do that. But what he is saying in that moment, in that time, is that following me, worshiping me, is what? Is more important in their life. That that should be the number one, right? Not our kids, not our auntie, not our uncle, not our mama, not our daddy, but ultimately the relationship with me should come first. And then a beautiful thing that happens when that relationship with Jesus comes first, all those other relationships begin to happen in such an amazing way, don't they? But ultimately what he's saying there and what he's stressing is that what it should cost us, we should be willing to let it cost us everything. Even if that means it costs us our own lives. Because our lives pale in comparison. And so just know that's what it should cost us. So I want to try to encourage you, Perimeter Road Baptist Church, that if at this moment and at this time in your life, if there is nobody that you are discipling, I want to plead with you and to help you to understand and to let you hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ that says, do what? Make disciples in the aorist imperative. And I want you to know how important that is. But I also, if you're not discipling somebody right now or if you're struggling with that right now in your life, I do want you to know that you can always get on your knees and you can pray to the one who did it perfectly. And his name was Jesus Christ. May he be the one that we can look to in these times. May he be the one that we can be reminded of of what he did for us in our lives. But I'm going to tell you, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ and you are not discipling someone in your life, then guess what? You are wrong. So in the words of Jesus, get it done. Bow your heads with me and let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you have done for us, for all that you have given us, God. We thank you for your life, God, and for you going through all the suffering and just, God, all the, the pain and agony that you went through on the cross for us, God. We thank you for sending your son to do that for us, God. May we never forget that. May we always live in light of that, Lord. And may add a response of that love that you have shown us, God, so greatly, Lord, may we realize the need to go and to make disciples of you, Lord. May we get it done, God. And may, Lord, may we never forget all the things that you have done for us, God, and how amazing it is to be able to point people to you. And Lord, I pray that that would be the mission here at Perimeter Road Baptist Church, that we would go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, God, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Lord, and teaching them all that Jesus, your Son, has commanded them to do. And Lord, may we live in light of that each and every day. And Lord, when we are struggling in our lives at that time to do that, God, 
May we get on our knees and look to your son, Jesus Christ, who did it so perfectly. And Lord, I just pray that you would begin to soften up the hearts of the people in this room, God, and that you would give them hearts that would desire to want to seek out and to search for someone, whether it's their kids, whether it's their family members, whoever it may be, co-worker, God, that they can begin to point to Christ and they can be intentional about that relationship, Lord that they can begin to help to learn how to follow Jesus Christ, God. And I pray, God, that they would keep the main thing the main thing. And, Lord, we pray this in your Son's precious name, through the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God. Amen.